movie deals arising out of their efforts to convict Michael. Following their own selfish agendas, these men meshed together a net of lies that would ensnare Michael and put him behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. Michael compounded his problems by hiring Mickey Sherman, a slick but incompetent, dissolute and pathologically narcissistic wannabe television lawyer. Sherman, who described himself as a media whore, drank, gambled, and luxury binged away the $2.2 million that Michael's friends and family had scraped together to finance his defense. A cyclone of media malpractice consolidated the perfect storm of greed and ambition that ended in Michael's imprisonment. His conviction was a failure of the legal system. It was also a failure of the press. The prevailing news story, crafted by Dunn, Furman, and a conniving prosecutor, of the spoiled rich Kennedy cousin, using political power and connections to get away with murder, was flypaper to the national media that parlayed the narrative into a cottage industry. In a classic and corrupt loop, the media vultures hungry for ratings egged on Connecticut prosecutors to file scurrilous murder charges against Michael. The 18 satellite trucks and almost 55 reporters attending Michael's trial signified a journalistic obsession with the case that was ten miles wide and an inch deep. With 401 reporters certified to cover the case, only one, Leslie Stahl, bothered to look beneath the flimsy veneer at the myriad facts undermining the prosecutor's frail parable. A new breed of TV lawyers, led by CNN's Jeffrey Tubin and HLN's Nancy Grace and Beth Karras, stoked the pitchfork brigade and officiated over Michael's press lynching. The media lemming stampede was evidence of a broken system that sacrificed Michael on the altar of ratings and revenue, and compounded the tragedy of Martha Moxley's death with the conviction of an innocent man. Sympathy for Mrs. Dorothy Moxley, Martha's mother, and the narrative of the Kennedy kid who got away with murder were ferociously embraced by press, police, and prosecutor. It swayed Connecticut's judicial system which obligingly dismantled the imposing legal barriers to wrongfully jail Michael for his implausible role in a 27-year-old crime. The courts, which are meant to safeguard individual rights against the volatile tides of public passions, instead capitulated to the mob. The judicial system shamefully bent its own rules and overturned long-standing black-letter precedent regarding its ironclad five-year statute of limitations on non-capital murder in the state of Connecticut. I am going to show that Michael Skakel did not and could not have killed Martha Moxley. How and why he got framed for the crime. Who did the framing and how they accomplished it. I'm also going to show how I tracked down the likely killers. Phantoms who moved in and out of Greenwich like shadows, and whose presence was detected by neither police nor press during thirty years of flawed investigations. Despite overwhelming evidence of their guilt— Connecticut prosecutors and police still refuse to investigate them. Today, those men walk free, as entrenched, ego-bound police and prosecutors stick to their guns and refuse to acknowledge their mistake. Michael is my cousin, and it would be natural for a listener to suspect I'm in the tank for him. For this reason, I will methodically lay out the overwhelming evidence that supports Michael's innocence— I mean to be painfully honest in telling this story, even relating things that some members of my family will find difficult to read. 
I will share personal stories and memories that I would otherwise never discuss. I do this because Michael's freedom, reputation, and constitutional rights are more important than the privacy I sacrifice by recounting these anecdotes. There are broader issues as well that need airing, including the abuse of police and prosecutorial power and the role of the media in our democracy. Michael's ordeal is a parable about how mercilessly the flames of passion and prejudice consume even the most privileged individual when democracy's firewalls, police, prosecutors, the justice system, the press, give way to the clamoring of the mob. The inferno that devoured Michael is no anomaly. It feeds every day on the economically disadvantaged and minorities. Only visibility distinguished Michael. Mostly the casualties of their broken institutions are the invisible and discarded, people living in ghettos and fringes.